want to thank you for coming, uh, for watching. Um, next week, again, if you can uh, help us out in the, the parking thing, that would be great. And after service, we'll have our Easter egg hunt uh, for the kids. Uh, for the folks that are online, you can uh, join us next Sunday. Uh, after the service, we'll have communion, and we're going to open that up to our online family as well. So um, this week is the uh, Passion Week of Christ. It's known as the Passion Week. It's the, the week and all of the events that uh, lead up to the crucifixion of Christ, and then ultimately next Sunday, focusing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, I want to challenge you to do something this week that that will... It will add to next week if you do it. Um, in the Jewish world, there is um, a group of uh, there's a there's a thing known as the uh, Huleil. Uh, it is a reading of the Psalms from Psalm one thirteen to Psalm one eighteen, uh, those five chapters. And so I'm going to put this in a prayer letter as well. But I, I want to encourage you to like either read one chapter each day this week of Psalm 113, 14, 15, all the way through to Psalm 118, or to read that passage, Psalm 113 to Psalm 118, every day this week. Um, I think it will make a big difference when we come in here next Sunday. And I think you will see things in the resurrection story you have never seen. Uh, because in the Jewish world, um, throughout the entire year, they would actually sing or read that, those psalms on 18 different occasions throughout the year. They became an essential part of the Jewish faith. In fact, when we read about communion and the last, and the Lord, the, the, the last supper of the Lord, and it says, and they sang a hymn, chances are very good they sang the Hulel, which is Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And it will give you some light on the resurrection and some uh, encouragement along those lines. So uh, let me challenge you to do that. As I said, today marks uh, the beginning of the Passion Week of Christ. Uh, let me give you a traditional uh, recap timeline of the things that happened in this week. Uh, again, this is more of a uh, Protestant, conservative, Orthodox Christian timeline. There's always a little debate and discussion on these events, but basically they would say that on uh, Saturday, you have the anointing of Mary, uh, by Mary of Jesus. Um, on Sunday, you have what's called the triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday. That's what we're going to talk about and, and, and we celebrate today. On Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and um, basically cleanses the temple. He curses the fig tree. Um, on Tuesday, he has a discussion uh, with the Pharisees, and then you have his Mount Olivet Discourse. Wednesday is known as the silent day, um, and, and we're not, there's just not anything that really happens on that day, uh, that scripture talks about. We get to Thursday, it's the meeting of Jesus with his disciples in the upper room, what we know as the Last Supper. And then Jesus goes to Gethsemane to pray, uh, with the disciples. Um, on Friday, we have the arrest, the seven unfair trials of Jesus. Uh, on Friday, and then on, by the time we get to Friday evening, he is on a cross. Uh, Saturday, he is in the tomb, and then Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we look at all of those events, and we call that the Passion Week, or the, or the week in which we focus on the things that lead up to, ultimately, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So this morning, I want to talk about Palm Sunday, and I want to look at it maybe in a little bit different uh, perspective and how it how it impacts our lives this week. 
Um, you should know that the, the triumphal entry, the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, uh, is talked about in all four of the Gospels. So anytime we have an event in the life of Jesus that's mentioned in all four Gospels, we really want to pay attention to that. Uh, because most of the events in the life of Christ are mentioned in you know, one or two or three of the Gospels. But when we have one that hits all four, that becomes a significant event. Um, this is really Jesus' last big public appearance, if you will. All of the other appearances after this um, are going to be different scenarios in different places. Um, in this particular thing, this particular story, it happens at Passover. And so let me give you a little bit of insight into Passover during this time in, in the world. Passover was celebrated once a year with the Jewish people. And the people would make a, a pilgrimage, if you will, to Jerusalem. In this story about the time of Jesus Christ, we know that there was a, there was a public census 10 years prior to this event. And in that census, this is a matter of history, not a matter of Bible, but in that census, we know that at the Passover time, 10 years before Jesus comes on the scene here, we have a record of 260,000 animals, lambs, that were slain during Passover. Now, in the Jewish world, a, a lamb being slain could represent up to 10 people in a family. So if you had 11 people in your family, now you had to bring two. So one lamb was sufficient enough to be sacrificed for up to 10 people. So if you take the maximum... We're talking about in Passover, 10 years before Jesus, this story, there could have been as many as 2 million plus people in Jerusalem for Passover. Now, I don't think the numbers are near that at this point in the story, because again, that was when a census was taken. Everybody kind of had to go. But nonetheless, what you would see in Jerusalem during Passover is you would see a large influx of people. So you have to remember, before the story takes place, the week before, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. So now all of a sudden there's all this talk about there's a guy who raises the dead. And there are a lot of people who are coming to Jerusalem for Passover. So as we get to this event, you have to understand the, the size of Passover. Uh, it's, it, think of it like a, a, a city that's having a Super Bowl. You know how every motel room is booked and everybody is in, and everything, it's just hard to get a place? And that becomes significant because when we start talking about this story and we see things like the disciples and Jesus meet in the upper room, how do you get a spot during Passover in a house or in a place to meet with a bunch of people? I mean... There's something unique about it. There was some planning and organizing. There was some unique things in order to be able to pull something like this off. And so you need to understand as we talk about the story that there's a whole large group of people coming in at this time during Passover. And these, a lot of these people understood the Jewish history and understood the Jewish background. So with that in mind, we're going to look at Matthew's account this morning uh, because Matthew actually, uh, in this passage, Matthew 21, we're actually going to look at that this week and next week. In Matthew chapter 21, uh, there are a number of Old Testament references in this passage. In fact, it's the second, the, the, it's this, in Matthew, the beginning of Matthew, there's a ton of Old Testament references when Jesus is born. 
The next time we see Matthew doing that is in Matthew 21, at this story, where he packs this thing full of Old Testament prophecies and Old Testament things. So that's why, I wanted, that's why I've chosen to look at the story in Matthew. So let me read it to you. Here it goes. Uh, it says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. With her colt by her, untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord has need of them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the desired daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt. They placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means save or save now or saves us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Um, That's an interesting word. It actually comes from the word that means earthquake. Um, and the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, to give you a little bit of an idea, this is, this is kind of the Mount of Olives down. Uh, so that little road mentioned off to the side, that's probably the type of road that they travel in. To give you an idea of what it may have looked like during this time, this is probably a good representation of what that would have looked like with people, with Jesus trying to make his way down that little pathway and people on the sides throwing coats and, 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 and palm leaves and waving them and doing all of that. So <clears throat> we have to walk through the story. And as we walk through the story, there's a couple of things that I, I, I want to talk about. Because one of the things that fascinates me in the story is the donkey. Have you ever thought about the donkey in this story? Because... I think there's some tremendous insight for us this week in the donkey. So hang on. Here we go. All right. The people were looking for a Messiah. The people understood that Messiah was going to come. Now, they're under Roman rule. And so in their mind, they're thinking this Messiah is going to deliver them. He's going to save them from the power of Rome. So... What Jesus is doing is he is presenting himself as king. And we have this story of Jesus and the disciples, we think probably Peter and John, and a donkey, and their owners, and a donkey that had a donkey, a foul. Okay. I don't, is that what you call it? Foal. Yeah, not foul, foal. <laughs> That's what happens when you put a city kid in the country. Anyway, um... So anyway, so that, that's the story, okay? So let me give you some insight. When you look at the other gospel accounts, to kind of add to it and, and give you a little bit of correct idea behind this. Um, Jesus looks at two of the disciples and he says, okay, I need you guys to go get the donkey. Uh, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go to this place, and when you get there, there's going to be a donkey tied up uh, to, it's actually tied to the, the mother, and, and I want you to, Take the donkey and untie it and bring it here. 
Now, this opens up all kinds of things, because here, when you read the other accounts, here's what we find. The donkey had two owners. So what that tells us about the donkey is, first of all, this was not somebody, it's not like somebody who has, um, you know, a hundred donkeys, and he's like, yeah, take one. If two people owned it, what it meant was these two people were poor. This was probably the, the, their main beast of burden, the one thing they depended on. It's like, it's like borrowing a horse from somebody that has 20 of them versus somebody that has one that runs the farm with the one. And so in this story, we know that this, that, that these people were probably very poor. The donkey was pretty much all they had. And Jesus, they, they go in and so you can imagine they go in and they start untying this donkey. And the, and, and the owners come up and they go, uh, excuse me? What do you think you're doing? And they say, the master has need of them. And it's like, okay, take them. Which tells me an awful lot. It tells me an awful lot about God, that God has already orchestrated this. In fact, it's a fulfillment of a prophecy that God wrote 500 years before this day happened. And so the disciples take this donkey and, and the foal, and they walk it then towards the thing, and then they get there, and they put Jesus on it. Now look, I don't know a lot about farming, but I do know this. If you give me a colt, that nobody has ever sat on. And you throw blankets or coats onto it. And you put a person on it. And then you surround it by thousands of people screaming, Hosanna, and then waving stuff and throwing down in front of it I know enough about farming to know this. It ain't going to end well. But it does. It does. And as you look at this story, it is an absolute fulfillment to the T of what Zechariah said when he said this, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. <clears throat> now, we lose this because we don't understand this. I don't know if you've ever been around a situation where you have gotten to see um, a president of the United States. <clears throat> um, I have. And let me tell you something. It's impressive. Um, years ago, when uh, George Bush Sr. was in town, um, I was helping, uh, one of the things that they did, it was a fundraiser thing, and one of the things that they did when he came to Sioux City is they sold um, pictures of him. Uh, you could have your picture taken with him for a donation to his, his deal. I was helping the guy who was doing the photography for it. So, I mean, it got to be, you know, I was there, you know, my only job was to shuffle film back, it was back in film, kids, you can read about it on the internet. Um, <laughs> It was, it was shuffle film back and forth and that kind of thing. And so I, I, I'm doing that. And so, you know, it's like, you know, Bush is there and, you know, you're here and you're close. The amount of, of stuff that went on behind the scenes, this was a big deal. 
I mean, you know, there's background checks. I passed. Don't know how, but I did. Uh, <clears throat> there were background checks. There were, there were ways to determine who could be so close and who couldn't. And, and if you've ever seen, like, when, a, when Air Force One lands and, and all of the pomp and circumstances, that they, okay, you need to understand this. If you've ever seen that, that is nothing compared to a Roman emperor coming into town. When a Roman emperor moved through the town, there were chariots and there were trumpets and there were flags and there were banners and there was all kinds of noise and everybody knew the king had come. The emperor was moving. So Jesus, the king of kings, comes in on a donkey. And if you're a Roman soldier, and you're standing there, and you're watching this, you are thinking, what a bunch of crazy people. This is the king? This is what they think of as a king? He's on a donkey. There's no big white horse all decked out or some chariot with him standing on it. He's on a donkey. They don't even have something to put on the donkey. They're just taking off their coats and throwing it on so he can be on it. There's no banners and trumpets and they're just shouting. What a joke. What a joke. When Jesus comes, he comes as a servant. And when he comes, he comes in meekness and he comes in loneliness. Believe me, there's coming a day Revelation talks about it. He's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to be on a horse. And it ain't going to be pretty. But in this story, he's coming as our savior. He's coming as king. In fact, okay, rabbit trail, and then I'll get back. Um, In fact, when Jesus is crucified, they put an inscription above him that says, this is the king of the Jews. And if you know the story, they come to the, the chief priests come to him and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't say he's the king of the Jews. We want you to write, he said he's the king of the Jews. And the Roman people look at him and say, What's written is written. I think Rome wanted to basically make a statement that says, you know what? If you want to make a king other than Caesar, this is what we do to him. This is your king, this is what we'll do to him. We're more powerful than your king. Because Jesus, again, on Sunday to Friday, Sunday, Jesus comes walking into town, riding on a colt, and they're shouting, he's our king, son of David, Hosanna, save us now, because they wanted to deliver from Rome. And these same people, by Thursday, guess what? They're saying, crucify him, crucify him. They turned on him that quick. What's interesting is, as you read this story, um, listen to Luke's account. Listen to what Luke does. Luke brings out this point. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he replies, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city, and he wept over it. Now, this is the second time in a week that Jesus has wept. He did it at Lazarus' tomb the week before, and now, now here we are here. He weeps over it. And by the way, it's a different word. And he says, If you, even you, had only known this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. He goes on, and he's going to talk about the idea of this stone has become a a rock of offense for you. 
But in this story, here's what happens. And again, I want you to picture it because there's a lot of lessons for it. Jesus is on this donkey, and he's coming down from the Mount of Olives. There's all of this stuff that's happening. And he stops. And he looks around. He starts crying. You see, Jesus realizes they don't get it. And because they don't get it, I know what's going to happen. They don't realize, I'm not here to save them politically from Rome. I'm here to give them eternal life with me. I'm not here to save them from some Roman oppression. I'm here to save their soul. And he breaks down the reason. And, and, the, and, and they come to Jesus and they go, hey, you've got to tell everybody to stop doing this. And Jesus goes, no, you don't understand. This is so important right now that if they don't do this, then the wall itself, the stones in the wall are going to start talking. That's how big a deal this is, folks. And you have Jesus then. And it's, it's interesting to me. You know what the next event that Jesus does the next day? He goes to the temple. And he overthrows the money changers. And he goes, my father's house is not a place to make money. And let me tell you something. He had pushed all of the buttons of the Pharisees. We're going to talk about this next week. And you're going to see why, why, why they had to take him to the cross because, because of what he said. And as we look at this story of Palm Sunday, I think there's a, there's a, there's a ton of lessons in here for us. So let me go to a couple of them that I think um, will help us as we head into this week um, as, as Christians or maybe even as people who've rejected Christ. Um, one of the things that you see in the story is this idea. You can't help but, minim- but not, as you, as you read the story, you can't help but look at it and have some questions. And to step back and go, okay, you know, there's a lot, you know, I don't understand, you know, why a donkey and why, oh, here's the thing I want you to get at, get. God is at work in this story. In fact, God started working on this story 500 years before it happened. Do you understand the significance of that? Do you understand the fact that God is at work all around them? But here's the thing. They don't see it. They're oblivious to it. They think they're going to be delivered from Rome. But Jesus is at work to do something great here, and the people don't see it. And here's my challenge to you. You may not see it, but God is at work in your life. That's one of the reasons I've been doing the testimonies is I'm trying to get you to think along the perspective of how has God worked in my life this week? What has God been doing? Because God has been at work at every one of our lives this week in some way, shape, or form. In this particular situation, and again, look at, look at all the preparation. Either God had to go and Jesus or somebody had to go and talk to these owners of the donkey and explain to them what was going to happen, or somehow God had to impress it upon their heart in a dream or whatever else. But they walk up and take something incredibly valuable to them and walk away with it, and they're okay with it. Why? Because God had, God had prepared all of that. 
You may not understand it right now, but God is working in your life. So that crisis or whatever it is that you're up against and you're banging your head against, why is this happening? Why is this happening? God is at work. Understand that. You know, I can't see him. For those of us that have been around Christianity long enough, I can look back on my life and I can see pivotal points where God was at work. At that time, if you stop me at that time in my life and say, hey, where's God in this? I'd say, I don't know. But I can look back now, the fact that I'm pastor here. Do you know that the fact that I pastor here could have been changed within 24 hours? 24 hours from the time I said, I will, I will fill pulpit one Sunday. You know what I was supposed to do within the next 24 hours of doing that? Tell a church in Canton, South Dakota, whether or not I'd come to pastor. Within 24 hours, I got a phone call on a Saturday night. They said, hey, any chance you could fill pulpit? And I said, "Uh, you know, I'm I'm booked for a couple weeks out, but hopefully I can like three weeks from now. And they said, okay. The next day, I was supposed to tell a church in Canton, South Dakota, whether or not I'd come and be their pastor. I got there at that meeting, and I said, I can't tell you why. I don't understand why, but I need another couple months before I make this decision. 24 hours. My entire life pivoted on that 24-hour period. Did I see God? Did I know God was at work? Yeah, I knew God was at work. Did I know what God wanted me to do? Had no clue. But God was at work. God was at work in the person who called me. God was at work in my life. God was at work in the church at Canton. God God was all over that thing. His fingerprints were everywhere. I didn't see it at the time. And I would say to you, that's exactly what's happening right now in this story. God's fingerprints are all over it. And God is at work in your life right now, whether you recognize it or not. Second thing is this. God doesn't do things the way you think he ought to do things. Really? Announce your kingship. How did we do that in the first century? We go get chariots and horses, and we are going to hire trumpeteers, and we're going to get flags, and we're going to get soldiers, we're going to get all kinds of important people, and everybody's going to dress up in all kinds of fancy stuff, and we're going to have a big proclamation as you ride into town and let everybody know you're king. That's the way it was supposed to work. Get me a donkey, take off your coat, Go cut down a leaf and start waving it. That's not the way you announce a king. God doesn't do things the way we do things. And what I would say to you right now is you have a way that you think God ought to work in whatever situation you're up against right now. And here's what I would tell you. Chances are good God's not going to work the way you think he's going to work. Because God normally doesn't do things. I mean, mean, again, I go back to the history of this church. God has never done things. uh, You know, we've had people that when we started this church said, hey, look, if you don't pass a plate, you'll close in a month. That was, was 30 years ago. We have to say, you can't build a building yourself. Really? We've, had, we, we've watched in situation after situation after situation where, where, where God said, this is the way I'm going to do it. 
And it was beyond anything any of us could ever imagine. And what I'm saying is whatever you're up against right now, here's what you need to know. God's probably going to work it out in a way that you don't see coming. And it's not the way everybody else works it out. Everybody told us, if you're going to build a building, here's how you do it. You get everybody together, you have a big fundraising campaign, you get everybody to pledge money, and then you tell them how much money you got to have, and then you start watching it as it comes in, and then you go to a bank and you get a loan up against that money, and then we sit there and said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. If the money's there, we'll build, and if it's not, we'll wait. Yeah, but what about, no, no. If God wants it, he'll supply it. Again, over and over and over again. And, and what I'm saying is God doesn't do things the way you think he ought to do things often. And, and that situation that you're up against right now, you think, well, God, it's got to work out this way. Trust God to let it work out how he wants to work it out. The last thing is this idea that I'm afraid there are people either watching or people who are here this morning who you don't get it. You're one of those people that Jesus stands at that wall crying because you're missing it. Because maybe you're like a Roman soldier. This all looks silly to you. Or maybe you're standing there and you're looking at all this thing going, you know, you know that, that, that Christianity, religion, Jesus stuff, that's for somebody else. It's not for me. I don't need that crutch. And, and the thing that... that, that, that Boggles my mind as you're missing it. You're going to go through the whole Easter season and you're going to miss it. You're going to think that it's about Easter bunnies and eggs and, 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 a, and a couple of days off of work. And, and you're going to miss it. And Jesus, as he comes into that city, he stops in the midst of all of the activity and he just breaks down weeping over the idea that they don't. Get it. There's a world that you're walking into this week that doesn't get it. And we've got to have broken hearts over that. We've got to have the attitude of we need to do what we can to help them understand it. And if you're here this morning, I don't want you to walk out of here or I don't want you to turn the thing off online until I'm sure you have at least heard it. Whether or not you get it is up to you. But you need to know what this whole season is about. And it's about the idea that Jesus came to a cross to pay for your sin and offers you a gift of eternal life with him. That's what the season is about. I like what one guy said, it's as simple as ABC. You have to come to a point that you acknowledge the fact that you are a sinner, that God is holy, that there's no amount of cleaning your life up that will make you appeal to God. You are the enemy of God because of your sin. We are born that way. We are that way, that we are God's enemy because we are sinners, and God is of purer eyes than to behold sin. In heaven, there is no sin. Zip, zero, zelch. God is perfect. It is a perfect place. And so you have to come to an understanding, just like I had to come to an understanding. For me, I was 16 years old, Detroit, Michigan, where I recognized the fact that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. 
then you have to believe. Believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to take care of your sin. Not you're going to add Jesus onto whatever else you have, but he is the way, the truth, the life. The only way, the only truth, the only life. There is no way to the Father but through Jesus Christ. And you have to believe that with your whole heart. It's not the idea of, okay, I'm just going to live good and do this, and then maybe I'll go join this religion and that religion and that religion. I'll get all the bases covered just in case. No, 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 no. It's an all-in thing. And you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way that your sin can be taken care of. And then you confess and commit your life to Christ. I confess. The idea is I go to God and I say, look, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I understand that you paid for my sin on the cross. You went to the cross sinless. You are offering me your righteousness. God, I confess that I want you as my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I want to commit my life to you. It's not about me anymore. It's about you. And the Bible says that when I do that, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, you don't know my past, pastor, it doesn't matter. You're a whoever. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but has everlasting life. Romans says it this way, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you will believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. With the mouth, confession is made to salvation. With the heart, man believes. It's an all-in kind of thing. He goes on in Romans to say, whoever, or earlier in Romans says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever shall be saved. The question is, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? In this story, Jesus works in a way that they don't understand. In this story, Jesus has been at work in their lives, and they don't realize it. And in this story, Jesus has orchestrated it all. And he realizes, he stands there and cries because he realizes these people don't get it. Even though they're singing and praising, they're standing there singing, Hosanna, save us, save us now. It wasn't about eternal salvation. It wasn't about spiritual. It was about political. They wanted to get out from underneath Roman oppression. You say, how do you know that? Because four days later, they're saying, crucify him. Get rid of him. Get rid of him. And I, I beg you this morning, I beg you this morning, please get it. Please get it. Because Jesus stands there weeping because they don't get it. We exist for one reason. To help make sure everybody gets it. I can't do anything to save you. All I can do is explain what Jesus did. You have to make the choice to accept it. You have to make the choice to say, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Forgive me my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Your call. The moment you do that, you become a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. The Holy Spirit permanently indwells you. You have a new purpose. The Bible says old things start passing away. All kinds of things become new. 
You start seeing life in a different perspective. You start seeing life in a different way. You start treating people different. You start acting different. Why? Because Christ is in you. And it's a better life, not just in the world to come, but in the world that we live in here as well. And it is our prayer that everyone here understands that. So let's, uh, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this as I tie up the end of the message. Whether you realize it or not, God's at work in your life. He's not going to do things the way you think he should do something. He gives everyone an opportunity to accept or reject him as Savior and King. You will either accept him or reject him, but he leaves that choice with you. The people who praise him on Sunday reject him later in the week. Don't make the same mistake. If I can have everybody close your head or close your eyes by your head just for a moment. I always like to give people an opportunity. So it, this is not something that, that, that's a big showy thing. But if in your heart you've never accepted Christ and you want to, I'm going to pray a simple type prayer. You can follow it. Do it in your own words, in your own head. But it goes something like this. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I need a Savior. And I know that you died on the cross. And you paid away for my sin. And so, Lord, as best as I know how, I want you to forgive my sin. I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. It's that simple. Let me close in prayer. Father, thank you. Lord, for those of us who have put our faith and trust in you, it's an incredible gift. We couldn't earn it. We couldn't deserve it. But Lord, you, because of your love for us, came and offered your life a sacrifice for ours. So Lord, this morning, as we go out into this week, may we see you at work around us. May we learn to trust you in the fact that, Lord, you may not do things the way we think they ought to happen. And Lord, may we help those around us to understand the reason that you came, the reason this season exists. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Can I say this? If you have either online or here put your faith and trust in Christ, you prayed that simple prayer. Can I, can I just ask you to do one thing? Share it with somebody. Um, in our community, this is calving season. And what I've noticed is when that healthy calf is born, people get excited. Who is it? Who, who had twins? Somebody had twins this week. Yeah, yeah. You guys had twins this week, didn't you? Yeah. I'm glad you clarified later that it was the cattle and not you guys. Um, that helps. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, we, we celebrate it. We're excited. We're happy that, 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 that everything went well. When somebody becomes a child of God and part of the kingdom, we get excited too. And uh, we just want to celebrate with you. So... Say something to somebody. Let them know. Okay. Let's stand together. We're going to sing.